0: Welcome back once again to the Bill Bradley Collective. We are sitting here on a sweltering Saturday afternoon um, in the Levy Native compound in beautiful New London, Connecticut, the Normandy of <laughs> southeastern Connecticut. Yeah, it's about to be post-bombing. As we are awaiting Henri, Hurricane Henri, who will
1: hopefully cut the humidity but also bring us Maybe not death and destruction. It will it, it is going to reignite the love of the QAnon crowd because Trump would have named it Hurricane Henry. And we will not stand <laughs> for this French aggression. Unread. And if you're listening to this podcast, we're very happy you got through it. Right.
0: <laughs> That's right. Congratulations on having power. Yeah, having power. Yes. Uh, Cheers to you. And, uh, and, um, yes, no, it's a hurricane named after a cheese-eating Cheese-eating surrender 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 monkey. Yes, as as, uh, groundskeeper Willie called the French in jest, but also correctly. So how you doing, Zach? Doing well. Getting ready to batten down the hatches. (laughs) Batten them down again. We'll show those hatches. That's a bunch of (laughs) funny (laughs) jokes. So, Zach,
1: first of all, what will you be ranting about? I'll be ranting about uh, Elon Musk's newest snake oil, the Tesla Bot. Oh, God. Well, thank God Elon Musk is getting some much needed
0: attention. So I was trying to find the last great Simpsons episode. I think it's season thirteen when they go to Brazil. Yes. But the our one God th- our money is gay. But the <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: where, where where the kidnappers get the Stockholm syndrome. Yes. <laughs> Look at that face. Uh also has my favorite part line. Look, it's a stripper from the children's show. <laughs> yeah. But I think penultimate to that is The Simpsons Behind the Laughter, the last episode in season 11. According to Simpsons Behind the Laughter, which former president has a comedy breakdancing act, which he breaks out at the Iowa State Fair? It's either Carter or Ford. I'm gonna go Jimmy Carter. It is Jimmy Carter. Yeah, ding ding ding, <laughs> because he rhymes Billy and Silly. Yes, as he does his little dance. I could. Have, they make fun of both of them so much. Yeah, and, and it, it he comes out because the Simpsons are fighting on stage. Yeah, that's so, right. And then he does. He spins on his head. Yes, he, he spins on his head. It is a very odd moment in Simpsons history. A very good episode. Last episode, uh, season episode twenty two of season eleven. If you own Disney Plus, how you doing, Andrew? I'm doing
2: okay. I don't have to work tomorrow, but at the same time, like the Connecticut coastline might be irreparably destroyed. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You t- wins and losses, good and bad. It's all, <laughs>
0: it's all gravy at the end of the day. Well, you, you might be able to get out golfing because it's yeah. possible you could hit a nine iron, three hundred and seventy-four yards. So good. seventy seventy-five mile an hour wins? I could do it. Yeah. I can reach that four with a nine. Yeah. <laughs> so what will you be ranting about? Manny
2: Pacquiao, who fights tonight. By the time you've listened to us, he's already fought. But his kind of a his career, his legacy, an obvious nod to his really troublesome public statements on uh, things that go against the virtues of the Bible in his mind. But many, uh, many Pacquiao.
0: So, as you know, our main topic is the nineteen ninety four players' strike, which is the last so far of the eight labor sh- stoppages between nineteen seventy and nineteen ninety four. There were only two players who were part all eight work stoppages. And ironically, both of them once won nine games with the Chicago White Sox. One of them did it in 1976. The other did it in 1991. And I'll give you one more hint. One of them was famous for how hard he threw and how far George Brett hit one of those fastballs. And the other one was probably the softest pitcher in Major League Baseball over his time. Who are these two players?
1: Nolan Ryan, no, that's no, wrong. he's going by. Fuck, he, he, he retired in ninety three.
0: Yeah, he's going by ninety four. That's right.
1: Uh, Charlie Huff. Charlie Huff is one. Yes. Wow.
2: The um, other one you should get, I get, it, get a stab at it. I, I lost, but can I get a stab at? Uh, well, I, you didn't lose. I did lose.
0: you took a practice swing. You,
1: <laughs> took, a, you took a breakfast ball. <laughs> yeah, which a, I
2: don't do. Which is, I can tell you, I don't, I don't do. I don't
1: do that. Uh, and uh, Hall, Hall of Famer.
2: Pitcher.
0: pitcher. Right, you said nine games yep. and he won. White Sox, Yankees, Pirates, and multiple other teams. Ninety-four later. to
2: 70. Jesus Christ. Not. Not a Negro. No.
0: No, because the softest the soft pitcher was, was, Huff. was Holly Hoff. Uh in the other one Goose Gossage. Fossil. Goose Christ. Gossage was- Gossage
2: pitched in ninety-four?
0: Yeah. Holy shit. He's okay. never – he, he will point out he has never retired because the season ended. No one invited him back I, to camp. So he never announced his retirement. As far He says, as far as I'm concerned, I'm still active. Um, the Yankees signed him in 78, and
2: he's probably 30 at that point in 78. <laughs> and they have, they have the Cy Young guy, Sparky Lyle, who's their closer. they still still bringing Gossage. Yep. And he's still pitching in the fucking 90s.
0: Oh, yeah. No, he, he what between are, the two of them, they pitched 47 years. Jesus um, Christ. And those are the two guys that last 47 – Last so long. Knuckleball pitchers and guys who throw super hard. Just arms that just don't. But uh, he he had one year as a starting pitcher. Because they, they used to do that. They'd take a reliever and make him a starting pitcher because they were good. And it was he went 9-17 and 17 that year. Um, oh, yes. Gossage is alive. Right. And Charlie Huff. I have no fucking idea. Uh, alive? They're both alive. All right. They're both alive. So once again, our edible arrangement... Oh, my has, bill is yeah so <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm let's doing down. I'm doing really well and uh I will what be, are you talking about today I will be talking about the excitement of adding a new horseman to the apocalypse among Republican governors one Doug Ducey and uh, Doug Ducey
2: <laughs> Doug Ducey as you know t- that sounds like an SEC head coach name as well which makes sense well, that he shares company with one
0: Rob Ducey was a um was an outfielder for the Toronto Blue Jays a fourth outfielder for a long time. Man, you are a bastion of of pointless knowledge. Yeah. No,
2: it's not point. It's never pointless. But like uh, Ed referenced, we're going to talk about after the break the 1994 and 95 MLB players' strike here on the Bill Bradley Collective.
1: Passing through the intersection of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Andrew, Ed, and Zach.
0: So as Republican governors throughout the country have been working on a dual track to overturn democracy on one hand and kill all of its citizens on the other, (laughs) they have been mostly led by the trioka of Ron DeSantis, Abbott, and... Brian Kemp from Georgia. And now, there is a fourth moron of the apocalypse who looks to join this team. By the way, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight states who have banned mask mandates in school, because that makes a lot of sense. But Doug Ducey has gone a step farther from the great state of Arizona, a state which is purple-trending blue, like... It, it'll probably go back to red when they don't let anybody vote anymore, but but right now it's pu- it's uh, purple trending blue. Ducey set up a $163 million school grant program, but it will only go to schools that have not instituted a mask mandate. So, because there was a law that was passed that said you cannot have mask mandates, and a lot of school districts who are used to acting independently said, screw you, we're doing it anyway. We see this throughout the country. But Ducey is using the $163 million that he's talking about from the COVID money for schools. And he said, parents are in the driver's seat, and it's their right to make decisions that best fits the needs of their children. Well, what if it doesn't fit the needs of other people's children? Like, they're not homeschooled. They're in a public school. The House Minority Leader, Reginald Bolding, who is a Democrat, great name, yes, said it's sickening irony that he's doing this by dangling millions of federally provided funds for COVID-19 relief and forcing school districts to choose between the health and safety of kids, educators, or millions in additional funding that Republicans have withheld for years. Ducey has managed to see Abbott and uh, DeSantis and raise them In stupidity and pure evil, we are living in two
1: radically different countries, depending on who's running the show. You know, one is, like, my first thought about this is conservatives really love local control until local control exerts its power. And then they really hate local control um, because they can't control it. And the other thing is just cynically, this is nothing more than just a political calculation. You know, he came out, he's going to be up for re-election soon. He came out against Trump, you know, winning the election. He said, no, Biden won it. He came out against the election audit. So he's trying to get back these like rabid right-wingers who have now kind of formed like the QAnon movement, which was very large in Arizona. Actually, they had multiple rallies and conferences there have kind of morphed into this anti-vaxxing group and anti-mask group and they've kind of like spread their tentacles out and now he's just trying to get their support again after basically turning them down it's just cynical politics and the fact that he's coming to it so late I think backs that up the fact that he's going to be and and also just using COVID funds to do this is you you know what are you doing I,
2: I wasn't sure that it was possible to up the ante on DeSantis seeing what's going on in Florida you've got South Florida districts, Broward County, Dade County, they've all gone against his non. They've, they're all they're enforcing masks. You see it in Tampa, where three days into school, you've got thousands of kids in quarantine. You've got hundreds of teachers in quarantine. And DeSantis is still fighting this fight for no masks. But just when you think you can't get worse, Ed introduces me to one Doug Ducey. And um, listen, this is, this, this is going to become... Just it's 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 our new normal for now. I don't what what is where is this going? When does it end? And it's all for and it's all for what? Like you said, it's it's political calculation, manipulation. Yeah,
1: the Sanders is doing it to run for president in twenty twenty two. Abbott's doing it because he's an idiot at the
2: expense of fucking children.
1: Yeah, Kemp's doing it because he wants to win again. Like they'll just kill children. And, and and Kemp, at
0: least when push comes to shove, often backs off a little bit. He's terrible. Like, don't get me wrong. He's terrible. Oh, he, he's eighty percent evil, twenty percent coward. Right, and thank God for the twenty percent coward because also he he lives probably in the state where it is, if it weren't for voter suppression, he would they would all get just washed away because there are many more Democrats in Georgia than there are Republicans or Democrat leading people if they get to vote.
2: So we are a mayor as we record a mayor. You know, hours away from the next chapter the next uh, moment in manny pacquiao's long and storied boxing career tonight he will face one your uh, ugas for his fraudulent wba welterweight title ugas is a good fighter the title is fraudulent he wasn't the original opponent one errol spence uh, was and the spence pacquiao fight was one that i think we were all pretty excited for not happening will probably happen down the road it's it's funny. I feel like in the year and a half plus that we've done this, that Manny Pacquiao hasn't come up more because Manny Pacquiao was kind of the he is at the center of sports and politics. The guy was a representative in his native Philippines. Now he's a, a sitting senator while still maintaining a boxing career that thinking about doing a little research on it this week. Manny Pacquiao is not like the best fighter I've ever seen. And perhaps like I'm. Um, i've always kind of been anti pacquiao since his he's got very public anti-gay anti he he made he made reprehensible comments about same-sex marriage and compared homosexuality to like uh homosexuals to animals just really just fucking vile vile shit anybody and he apologizes but he says but that's just who i am religiously that's what i believe in, in the bible yada 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 But eh. but strip that away take that away and we're all fight fans here many pacquiao's career record and what he's, the fact that he's headlining a, what would Spence would be a huge, I think a huge pay-per-view event um, with Ugas, a lesser opponent, it's diminished, but it's Manny Pacquiao is still the A side. I was saying Manny Pacquiao is not the best fighter I've ever seen. He's probably had the best career of any fighter in my lifetime. I went through his record. I counted, I believe 10, Spence would have been 10 Hall of Famers, legitimate Hall of Famers that he fought most of them multiple times and he got the better of virtually all of them uh, minus floyd i guess ed what are your uh and zach too like your reflections on on manny pacquiao is he at his age now that he's still relevant that he's still a favorite in this title fight on pay-per-view that's again it's not spence i thought he was live against spence myself but the fact that he's still the attraction that he is in his early 40s and he's You know the accolades. From 112, now he's at
0: 147. It's insane. It is an unprecedented career, Uh, at least in these times. I mean, nobody fights this much. Nobody fights so many big fights. He's never ducked a person in his life, and he fights them multiple times. He is a great fighter. I don't think he is at the level of Bernard Hopkins. Who would be the? I mean, for in the last 15, 20 years, or Mayweather? I don't think he's at that level. I mean, Mayweather just beat him. Um, Pacquiao is a troubling man, but he's not a troubling fighter. He makes action fights. I would not be shocked to see him get knocked out tonight. Uh, I because I think, you think this is this could be the end? Because I, I think mean, that every a fight, small guys years, just don't yeah. age that well, and he's carrying a whole bunch more weight than he ever carried in his life. He's got always a smaller guy in the ring. And I didn't think he was going to be live against Spence. I thought he was going to get his head handed to him.
2: We watched a fight here at the Berg compound. His against Keith Thurman. Yep, Pacquiao. And I thought Pacquiao had no fucking shot. Keith Thurman and you. I see him make a face. He's, He's okay. He, he beat Sean Porter straight up in, yeah. in his no, previous Thurman's, fight. Thurman's okay. Thurman was a top three welterweight at the time. He was favoring the fight, and Pacquiao fucking took him apart. And that was a couple years ago.
0: He's a hell of a fighter, but, but it, uh, it, it is nah. a couple years ago. Sure. I mean. Yeah. At some time, he's like a quarterback. In some game, he's sometimes going to show happen. up, and there's just nobody there. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know. And little known fact, we were almost the Manny Pacquiao collective, but uh, <laughs> yeah. his views on homosexuality we thought didn't jive <laughs> we, with our lives. We, we also didn't know how to spell Pacquiao. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, oh, um, I th- I think he's he's one of the best fighters i have ever seen. I like like my dad said, you know, Mayweather exists, and hmm. and as much as I hate Mayweather, as much as Mayweather is a worse human, uh, he he is. A tremendous fight, And Pacquiao, the you know, Dad, he said it best. Pacquiao always made fights good. They always made fights interesting. There was always a lot of action. And to be doing that at 40, like Hopkins was not an action fighter. He was more of a defensive fighter. Pacquiao being an action fighter and being an into his 40s is nothing short of just like incredibly impressive. No and he fought during the golden age, golden age. of, you know, I mean, I the mean, fact f-
0: that Barrero... Uh, Morales and he were all at the same time. Juan Manuel Marquez. Oh, man, sorry, that's and, right. Marquez. No, all three of yeah, them.
2: Yeah. Br- Morales and Marquez. Yeah. All, four, all four of them.
0: Yeah, we're all around at the exact same time and mm-hmm. the exact same weight making great fights over and over again. It's like,
1: God, we need that back. We'll get there soon. And to wrap it up uh, this week, I'm going to end it on kind of a, I guess a baffling note uh, from this week, which is I, I kept seeing things trend on twitter and i kept seeing tech articles written about the tesla bot uh and this five foot eight bot that was going to have over 40 functions it was going to be quote-unquote friendly i assumed musk had done it and had actually created a robot that had human functions similar to like boston Dyna- Dy- boston dynamics does with their dog or uh in japan we saw with the robot that shot free throws like it was like okay maybe he maybe he did it okay cool this is Whatever, another another rich guy thing. It was the Honda bot. Yeah, the Honda bot, yeah. And then I watched the video of it, the entrance of this quote-unquote bot. And it was a man in a spandex suit that was all white except for the head, which was black. And dubstep started blaring over the speakers. And he, can't, he walked up in a robot motions and then started doing like the Charleston and dancing around and basically dancing for 40 seconds and then Musk came up and said thank you thank you and then the robot kind of robot walked the person robot walked off the stage and this of course increased Tesla's stock price and you know because oh why capitalism is great why why not increase the stock price and it just strikes me as another thing that Elon Musk has done that you look at and you go what the fuck was the point of this it was like when he launched the car to space you're like Okay, neat. Now what? Like, all you did was put a dancer in a spandex suit and had him dance for dubstep and made a couple billion dollars because your stack, stock valuation went up. Is, does Musk bring, like, any actual value to this country or to this, like, economy? He is. He is,
0: for educated young white men, like one of those K-pop bands, they like, love him. <laughs> the, Weird like, internet nerds. love it, it, him. It, 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 they just fanboy over him because he's everybody's version of like, well, this is what I, I'd be a cool guy like this. I, I would be that person. I, as I said off air, all I could think about was the uh, the dude's landlord and the big Lebowski. You want to come, come, come to my interpretive dance show? I, I, I need some notes. And that guy now... Is instead of uh, trying to collect the rent from the dude, he's he's working for Elon Musk. I mean, I don't mean to
2: look the well-educated, very tech-savvy young white male. I think they, they look at Elon Musk and listen. And me and me too. And I'm I'm fairly well-educated, not tech-savvy at all. I admire Musk's ambitions yeah. and his, to an extent. It's his behavior as like the one of the three richest people in the fucking world that is abhorrent to me, and that it kind of makes him beyond redemption. Yeah, it's um, who it's who he is, not what he does. Exactly, and that's where I that's where I come down. Um, it's yeah. personal, but it's it's not personal, but it's personal. It's it's wholly personal, I guess you'd say.
1: Yeah, and uh, if you if you get a chance to watch this 46-second 46, 46 video, I highly suggest you do it. It is and then invest, and then and then just put all your money in Tesla. <laughs> Uh, it is baffling and wonderful and bizarre, and it makes you just hate rich people a little bit more. And uh, with that, we'll be back with the main topic on this week's Bill Bradley Collective the 1994 baseball strike after these messages.
0: Beauty, grace,
1: elegance. There's no question that the horse is
0: God's finest creation, unmatched in style capability,
1: and strength. Now, that strength and beauty can be yours with horse milk. Packed with vitamin H, horse milk not only promotes strong bones,
0: but also improves hair growth, bedroom performance, vertical and horizontal leap distance, muscle tone, and breath smell. Buy your Ziploc bag of horse milk today. Say nay to bovine bile and hay to horse milk. So as Zach said, we will be talking about the 1994 baseball strike, and it is a topic that we can't stop talking about off the air, so I'm sure that we have a lot to go here. We're going to start talking about the 1994 baseball strike by talking about 1880 because that was the year that the Reserve Clause was put in, which gave teams in perpetuity rights to players even after the contract ran out. So, if you signed with, say, the Baltimore Orioles, unless the Baltimore Orioles traded you or cut you, you were forever a member of the Baltimore Orioles, which, to put it mildly, hurt your bargaining position, because your option was to do another job. We talked about this, I think, going back, because we talked about the uh, Players League, yeah. which was brought up against us. In 1953, the Players Association was finally formed. Um and it had to do with the pensions, because the pensions were not being funded as they were supposed to be. Bob Feller was the first president. John Lewis was the first executive director kind of person. Uh, Lewis was terrible. Uh, he was actually represented the Giants' owners on the side, which was might have been a conflict of interest. He was replaced by Robert Cannon, who openly was petition, uh, petitioning to get the commissioner's job. So that's not great. Players get into a um, – the players were not really into a strong union because unions had a reputation, you know, that still exists today for being corrupt and professional, Mob, you know, the mobs were involved, both the mafia and also the unwashed mobs. But in 1966, the pension became a huge issue again. At the time when the commissioner, uh, the head of the players' association, was up, Judge Cannon tried again to get it. And Marvin Millers, who is a worker in the Steel Workers Union, he, he was a uh, uh, you know uh, a business agent for the Steelworkers Workers Union, also applied. Cannon was voted into the position by the players. He then asked for more money. The players blocked to paying him more money. And the owner said, don't worry about it. We'll pay the difference. Which gives you an idea of what Cannon was going to be like. Everyone knows the best labor representative <laughs> is being paid by management. So he went to, he went to, um, they ended up with Miller. Leading up to the strike, he did the following things. He renegotiated the pensions in 1996 and organized the players around his the owner's bad behavior. In 68- he renegotiated a new CBA that raised the minimum salary 42% and increased grievance rights. He then supported the Kurt Flood case, which challenged the Reserve Clause. In 1972, they did a 12-day strike, the first strike in the history of organized uh, sports, and over the failure to make pension payments in an effort to get salary arbitration. Catfish Hunter, a great pitcher for the Athletics, sued with on behalf, with the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association because Charles Old Finley, who we should do a show on sometime, oh, yeah. uh, failed to make contractually annuity payments. The arbitrator, who was only existed because Marvin Miller managed to get that position in there, ruled that the violation of the um, contract freed Hunter from the contract. So he became the first free agent. He got paid $3.5 million for five years from the Yankees. At the time, an inconceivable amount of money. And suddenly the players saw, oh shit, if we don't have this reserve clause, we're going to make a lot of money.
2: Catfish earned that check because Billy Martin abused the hell out of his arm.
0: Yes. Seriously. Oh, absolutely. I As mean, he did 500 million. He then... Worked uh, Miller then worked with uh, Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally, and they got the seats decision, which basically said that the reserve clause not was a violation of law, but was a violation of contract, and therefore could not exist. In 1981, the owners try to claw back CBA provisions. He takes them out on strike again. They fail. If you want to know about Marvin Miller, when he took over, the average salary was $19,000 for a Major League Baseball player. And when he retired, it was $326,000. He did his job. So that's good. What unique situations lead us into 94?
2: So Ed brings the chronology, Miller, up to 81. Let's go to 83. In 1983, the TV rights are up for sale. And ABC and NBC two of the uh, three broadcast giants, um, basically renew. They signed collectively a six-year, I'm sorry, a seven-year $1.2 billion deal where they're going to alternate World Series, alternate. They're going to share the product televised. And in the 21st century, like, like in the present now, the rise of player salaries across sports, the rise of like franchise valuations to me And I think it's subjectively just true is, is the amount of money that these leagues command in for their broadcast rights. Same goes in the eighties too. What happens when that contract expires in 1989 is that CBS, the other of the three giants, they take on, they take on four years, 1.6 billion to be the sole broadcast partner of major league baseball. Okay. In 1990, CBS Sports had a, and again, this is, cable's a thing, but it's not, it's not what it is today, obviously, and they have a a schedule for that calendar year that includes the Super Bowl, a Winter Olympics, they have the Daytona 500, they have the entirety of the NCAA tournament and Final Four, they have the Masters and a full slate of PGA Tour events, they have Major League Baseball, they have the U.S. Open Tennis. They have, again, and they have also back in Super Bowl January in the fall, they have the NFC uh, NFL rights, which at the time are far, the, the most valuable NFL property were the NFC rights and CBS had them. It is a resume of TV rights that would make ESPN in 2021 blush and put their tail between their legs and run away. What happens... Over and I, did I mention they had the NBA Finals as yeah, well? Yeah. And maybe else I did. Okay.
0: Which they showed at like midnight. Had, not, not, <laughs> ni-
2: not in nineteen ninety. They did. Oh no, no, no. And that, no, that was 99. the last. And that was the last year they had it. But it's bloated. And what happens is, for years, forever, in a day, and in the previous contract, NBC and ABC, you had games of the week, week in, week out. For a lot of years, it was prime time. ABC's Monday Night Baseball, Game of the Week, Baseball Week in Review. These were these were a big deal. This is what kept baseball thriving. Football had overtaken it, but baseball was still very relevant. Once CBS gets the deal in 1990, the problem is, and they pay all this money, there's no fucking baseball. They've got both league championship series, they got the All-Star game, they got the World Series. But they're not there's no game of the week. There are it's a haphazard schedule over the 4 years of just arbitrary weekend afternoon telecasts with very little promotion behind it. And what it does is, and it's, it's a combination of not showing virtually any regular season baseball, but also a run of bad luck. 1990 World Series is A's-Reds. The Reds sweep the A's, and it's a big upset. You know what's bad for, like, an NBA Finals World Series ratings-wise? Sweeps. And that was their first year of this exorbitant contract. The last, the, the bookend, the last two years, the Toronto Blue Jays win the World Series. And again, compelling stuff on the field Not compelling to viewers, especially when you're not showing their product. And this is before MLB TV and MLB Extra Innings, where you could just like subscribe and watch out of market baseball all the time. Fans, if you wanted a national feel for the game, like you needed games on national TV. And CBS did not provide that. And CBS loses, they lose uh, about a half billion dollars off of this. Their contract expires the end of '93. And this is a part of why the owners sort of cry foul. CBS, over these four disastrous four years, diminish baseball's TV value so much that there's really no bidder in ninety four to take over the rights. What they do is MLB produces the games themselves, the baseball network where they're gonna offer and it's NBC and ABC that get back in, but they're basically buying buying postseason games, buying the All Star game, buying certain relevant regular season games at their at their price. They're dictating the value. MLB took an enormous hit, at least in the public sphere. You know, over those four years, public interest diminished. You know what didn't diminish? Ownership, profits, and revenues did not, because they got that fat deal from CBS. CBS lost money. Owners didn't lose money. But baseball, baseball as a product, not the owners, but the product, the game, lost value, lost some sort of, like, credibility.
1: It it is interesting to to that because it... There's one network, major network, that is now a big proponent of baseball, which is Fox, Fox, that was not talked about. It shows how massive the impact of, like, the Simpsons were on launching Fox and making Fox a and legitimate network. Fox
2: changes everything in '94. when, guess who they take the NFC package from? They outbid
1: CBS yep. for that. And that and was that all... changes everything. And that was all money from, like, Fox the Simpsons. Yep. Yes, it, it absolutely. Makes, yeah, billions absolutely. of dollars. Absolutely. And another big challenge that they had, and one of the reasons why... The management called foul, and one of the ways they tried to help it was in '92. The acting commissioner, uh, Faye Vincent, was forced to resign by the owners because the because the commissioner had basically turned on the owners and said these three owners, naming basically Bud Selig, who is the future commissioner, as one of them, basically colluded in a way to keep salaries down. And, and I think he called it a hundred multi hundred million dollar theft. From the players, which then, of course, the Players Association had no love or trust in Bud Selig because he just colluded to keep their salaries down. They then make him commissioner, the owners that make Bud Selig commissioner, and they released a proposal uh, which causes the players to kind of look at this and go like, we're not, you know, this this could be a problem We're you we might not sign this. That would have eliminated things like salary arbitration. Now, if you're not if you're not used to the arbitration process, basically what it is is just a neutral person that comes in and helps settle disputes. So, if you think you deserve one point one million, the club believes you deserve eight hundred eighty thousand. You go in, you make your argument. The arbitrator decides which one's right. Maybe cuts the baby in half. Who knows? And uh, would also change free agency. Would also have done all these. A couple other put things. In a, put in a salary cap. Put in a salary a hard cap. Yeah. Put in a hard salary cap. Uh, and basically use this as a threat to be like the smaller market teams, you know, the Kansas City Royals of the world would have gone under. Um, a lot of this is also done to just their own malfeasance, like their own problems.
0: Well, I mean, 1880, I mean, 1984 is when collusion starts. Peter Ubaroff, who c- c- cuts a wide evil swath through America for his whole life, Uberoff, uh, and, and th- thankfully, and I go every year to his grave to make sure he's still in it. Is dead. Ubaroff was largely behind CBS yeah.
2: uh, getting that deal. They got in ninety because he wanted he wanted the big network bucks minus uh,
0: rather than sure. spreading it out. So Seelig and worked and who was a small market owner, of course, Milwaukee, uh, worked with with this uh, with, uh on the collusion. It was not artfully done. They would somebody would go in and a player would go into a team and, and say, Hey, I'm looking to sign as a free agent, and they would turn him down and then call every other team and say, I just turned him down. There were almost no free agent signings from eighty five to eighty eight, and because of that salaries dropped sixteen percent. While the profits are going up, there were multiple lawsuits as, as Zach pointed out. They all come in together. It cost them two hundred and eighty million dollars in damages that the players that the owners had to pay the players association and this figures in to the 1984 strike because a lot of that money went into the strike fund and also every player who had been a free agent was now a free agent again mm-hmm. they were under a current contract but they could violate that contract because of course the contract was signed under duress so that year like, I, I remember it just being kind of crazy. Everybody, basically, everybody is a free agent. It was like a fantasy draft where you just draft new guys every year. But as Zach said, complete breakdown in faith. Giamatti's there. He's liked by both sides. He dies. And, Faye Vincent's there. Faye Vincent used the commissioner's powers to prevent a lockout. And that's one of the main reasons he got voted
1: out. And, and one of the things, you know. Dad, you and I know well from working in the labor movement. Andrew, you know well just from being a manager and like working with even a non-union environment is you, your employees have to trust you. You have to trust your employees. You have to have some so, something that binds you together in this relationship or else it completely falls apart. Implodes.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I heard uh, uh, Mike Weiner, who used to be the former head of the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association, told his successor your goal is not labor peace. It is get a fair and equitable contract. And when you work in labor, that's a lot of it. But you also can't burn labor peace because ultimately you have to, like, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's like I used to tell people, it's like having a Siamese twin and shooting it. Okay, best case scenario, you drag a dead body around. Worst case scenario, you die too. You can't kill your Siamese twin. And the owners, through just sheer ineffectiveness, ineptitude, managed to both kill the Siamese twin, except the Siamese twin didn't die. It devoured the owners. I mean, they were just winning everything.
1: Yeah, the players' response to this was not out of line. And they they basically, uh, Donald Fair, who's the executive director, basically says, like, if they want serious negotiations to start, we're ready to to talk. But without serious negotiations, like, we're going to have a problem. And they set up, they basically set a strike date for August 12th. August 12th.
0: At the beginning of the year.
1: Yeah, like It wasn't like we didn't know this this day was coming. Yeah, they gave him all the spring training. They gave him all the summer to do it. And they let him know, like, this isn't going to happen. And then August 12th comes, no collective bargaining agreement. They walk. There's a very good oral history of this strike on ESPN. And
0: it makes you hate Bud Selig so goddamn much. Because he said, I felt nauseous. I felt sick. I let people down. I felt like we were letting the fans down. That's bullshit. They never, they never tried to negotiate a contract in good faith. They had demands. They felt the flares were going to have to suck it up and take them. They did not have what we call an evergreen clause in the contract, which says that the contract exists under its current form until a new contract signed. That's the way state, basically public sector local, uh, contracts are. That when the contract ends, if there's no new contract, you just don't work under the old contract. They didn't have that, so the players didn't have to be... Like, the owners didn't have to lock them out. But the owners were trying to unilaterally impose
1: a salary count. And during... Throughout the strike... You know, the players do go on strike, and throughout the strike, the owners do unilaterally make changes. They make changes to free agency. They say everyone's a free agent. They make changes to uh, salary arbitration. They just unilaterally do this. thing. Now, they had to go back and undo all of these things because of the response. But they... Like, that just shows... Who, you know, the players' association here takes a lot of blame from fans, which we'll get into. But the owners kind of owned this strike. Oh, it's... it's Look, you and I are always going to side with labor
0: except in extreme circumstances. But there's no doubt the owners kept losing in court and then tried to force the players to accept what they couldn't get legally. And they had... There, there, there weren't enough people in that room that had the brains of a, of a cheetah to figure this out. And also, because uniquely among sports at that time, there was no revenue sharing at any level between the big market teams and the small market teams.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things the players <clears throat> proposed. It was a 20, It was a 2% tax on the 16 highest teams to help basically cover it up. Or it helped cover up the shortfalls for the small market teams, and the owners just said, "Like, no, we're not doing that." You, you mentioned uh, before,
2: uh, like the Royals as a small market team, and by the mid '90s, they're kind of in disarray. But they're eight years removed from being in a World Series. I mean, they're 1994 has this weird. There's a lot of there's there's a there's a really large concentration of like historically great players in their primes. That have essentially almost near career years in 1994 across baseball, whether it's Gwynn or, or Griffey, Griffey or Bonds, yeah. G- all G- over the place.
0: Gwynn hits three, is hitting all three place. is hitting 394. The idea of him hitting 400 was not out of the question. It was Tony fucking Gwynn. Bagwell is 368, 39, and 116. On August 10th. Perhaps the peak year in a Hall of Fame career. Was
2: that not even It
0: absolutely is. He never hit within 45 points of that average, which I don't know how many Hall of Famers had a average 45 points higher than they did in any other year, one year. It's not a lot. That's a, that's a huge deviation. Um, yeah. Matt Williams is on the Babe Ruth watch. Um, it was a very exciting year. In baseball, Randy Johnson already had 268 strikeouts. He was going to get to over 300 again.
2: Through August 12th. Like, think about that. We're past August 12th now, and there's still a ton of baseball to be played. Imagine a pitcher now having 268 strikeouts. Yeah. He'd throw 400 right. and back then, He would have thrown, he probably would have thrown 400 and shattered. What was the record? What's the record? 394 or something?
1: Ryan, so, Ryan, so, Ryan has so, it. Is it Ryan?
0: Yeah. I think it's 384. 384. Well, we'll, we I mean, we'll, we'll check it and put it on Facebook yeah, in the notes. Yeah.
1: It is remarkable also what this does to the fans um, it absolutely devastates baseball you know they eventually come to it a uh, judge future Supreme Court Justice mm-hmm. Sonia Sotomayor is the judge that ends the strike uh, which was a fantastic bit of information to learn yes um, she basically ends the strike ruling against the owners kind of in, in favor of the players um, be- because President Clinton essentially orders
2: action yeah, to but- be to be taken but, Make a deal. Let's go.
1: And shockingly for a Clinton administration,
0: it didn't really work that well. But Sotomayor says you cannot you have players under contract to perform the duties that you can't you can't hire other people to perform those duties because you have people under contract performing those duties. So she puts an injunction and in, that injunction gets upheld. And now the owners can't have a scab team and they don't know. What to do. They're done. Like, they're done because ultimately the players had $300 million in their strike fund. The players were not going to feel the pinch that year, and they were not going to feel it the next year. And these guys, Bud Selig, his business is the Brewers. He doesn't, he, it's not like Steinbrenner was a shipping magnet and owned the Yankees. He, like, his job, and, you know, Griffin still owned the Twins. That was his job. That's what they did that's the business of the family. So, yeah, they couldn't
1: do that. It, it was pretty remarkable to see, like, you know, the fans react to this by – there's a 20% drop in attendance in the next season when the players come back. Uh, and it's an abbreviated season. Like it's it's 144 games, yeah. not 162. The strike
2: continues until, like, late April, early May 95. Yeah.
1: And, like, everyone's getting booed. Donald Fair is getting booed at Yankees games. Owners are getting booed. C-League's getting booed. The the fans have kind of put this on like a pox on both their houses kind of thing. And I think today we still see the effects of the 94 strike in the sense of like fans have not necessarily. Baseball's still in a bit of trouble.
2: Go ahead. C-League, and it's like a house of cards where it has every reason to just implode. But through C-League's sort of continued negligence, we run into Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. It's 98, 95, 96, 97. Let's call them recession years. And then 98, steroids kind of accelerate short-term growth that there's no long-term gain from that is what I'm saying. I'm not sure. 98, baseball was huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was a short-term thing. And once and once you get to Balco and the Mitchell Report and all these other things, it, it's it's more evidence that Sea League's commissionership is one of the arguably the worst
1: of any oh he I I think C- Sea League I think Sea League is like Goodell's a worse person I think Sea League's a worse commissioner
0: I think. Uh, I think baseball's easier to kill than football Sea um, League did
1: his damnedest to kill it he did his, but, he did and, his hardest, but yeah. but it's what number, he
0: did do is he found new revenue streams for owners that the players got locked out from. And one of the things that, like, they don't, a lot of the, the streaming stuff, a lot of the digital stuff, they don't have access to that money. They do have, like, minimums in terms of, of total revenues was, and salary structure. Like, there's a, there's a, there is a connection there, as there is in the other leagues. Baseball now is, there's no salary cap in baseball. But the luxury tax is such it's, that it kind of serves as that. It, it really does. Ah.
2: Uh, minus the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Red Sox, they they make moves very conscious of that tax. They want to stay under that tax threshold. Yeah, the, the, Yankees, the Cubs broke the. I mean, Tom Ricketts. He, they just the Cubs just fire sale had a fire sale and oh oh yeah Yankees Red
1: Sox Dodgers they'll just pay the luxury tax.
2: But the only team the Dodgers are really the only team above it because the Yankees the Yankees won't the Red Sox won't. They, they, in the last couple of years, they. Yeah, they I watch. mean,
0: you know, I mean, so Seelig did get some of what he wanted. He did it at the expense of growing the sport, baseball, which in 1994 was clearly the second most popular sport in America. Yes, is now arguably fourth or fifth. It's, it, 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 it's still it, third. The, the, no, it? not what's not, above not, it. College football? I mean, we, college football. Are we are
2: we are we are we including college in that? College football's right. above right.
0: it. It is. Um I I would argue you might say the PGA is above it. Or M M. E. is above it. Like it, there's a lot of uh, place. Yeah. And the reality is, I mean, Mike Trout, who's the best baseball player of his time, could walk down the streets of New London and literally no one would know who the hell he was.
2: That's a that's a problem with that's, major league baseball. Right. And that's part all, of the yeah. but, Th- that's, but, that's not a Mike Trout problem, that's a major league baseball. But part it, problem, of that is sure.
0: because the fight between the owners and the players is so ingrained in their psyche that Major League Baseball, because it's run by the owners, never really promotes stars. Not the way the NBA does.
1: Yeah, this, the- this, this kind of feels like at the end of a thank you for smoking when J.K. Yeah. Simmons uh, is sitting there and he's like, so what What did we learn? Did, did we learn anything? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like this strike happened and baseball just kind of is – Dying on the vine, they, you know. Baseball is the palm trees down at the city dock. You know they're just slowly <laughs> dying. I don't disagree, but it's and
2: I I believe it's nineteen ninety nine, and Sports Illustrated when when it mattered, their baseball preview issue. The cover was Kevin Brown, and I believe Kevin Brown, the pitcher, who well, I think is a borderline Hall of Fame case. We'll save that yeah. for all fair. But I believe no, he, was, I he was. I believe he was the first hundred million dollar athlete. Yes, he was. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he was. Yes, you have the likes of, we, and, I, and you look like the Mahomes, the Mahomes deal, and the Josh Allen deal, and all this money. And let's, well, it's not all guaranteed, but you've got like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, and like the book look, look, J- Giancarlo
0: Stanton. But it these is these are three hundred million dollar guarantee- guaranteed salary. But it's a it's a scar. It's a contracts. Uh, not it's, salaries. It's it's a, it's a stars and scrubs thing though, because I think that. Almost like in the NBA, you've got this this huge chasm. But is, I, it that, is it that is it that huge? Where like a mid level player in the NBA now
2: is like three for
0: thirty, you know? Yeah, that's
2: true. Four for forty. I,
0: you know, but just, but I I would say that one of the things that this distrust it's built started with the collusion. Well, it started before the collusion, but clearly the collusion, collusion was a huge. Yeah. I mean, they broke the law. It was the straw that mm. broke the back, right? Yeah. And then the nineteen ninety four strike where the the bringing in Bud Sealy was the ultimate fuck you to the players, that what baseball has not been able to do is address its fundamental problem in that the game is so goddamn slow, it's impossible for modern people to watch it. And they can't address – every other league changes their rules all the time. The NHL had a problem with scoring – and they took out the red, the red line uh, icing. The two-line pass. Right, they took out the two-line pass because you wanted to have it more up and down. In football, they changed the rules constantly. In basketball, they changed the hand-checking rules and all the rest. Baseball can't address any issue ever because the very structure is dysfunctional, and the 1994 strike, I think, really highlights that, and we haven't gotten past
2: that problem the next generation of baseball fans and i guess i assume you'll find them if you watch the little league world series which is going to happen for the next two weeks i don't watch that i know we have friends of ours that are into it i don't like 12 year old kids being on tv not getting yeah whatever but those kids want <laughs> those kids live on fucking like tiktok and they and they and they're into bat flips and like you know what celebrating themselves and like cool shit and baseball still fernando tatís still like gets flack from the old the old heads that like oh this is bad for the game you gotta adapt. Baseball has not adapted to just the like the country, the world. Um, and until they do, just culturally and socially, they, they, yeah. They need to rethink themselves and, and make guys like Tatis and Shohei Otani, like those are your build the game around the individual, build the game around
0: the labor. And I, I would I, I think maybe we're just one Marvin Miller away from that. One of the great, maybe the greatest labor leader. Who
2: runs the, Tony Clark runs the union? Uh, uh but God, yeah. He, yeah, it is. But yeah. He's yeah. like in his yeah. 50s. My, he's out of touch. He's out, not in the game. He's out of touch. I don't right. know. Right.
0: No, but with that, uh, we, had, I enjoyed this one. This was, uh, the 1994 baseball strike still kind of feels, I mean, I remember it super well. You guys were young, but I mean, I was.
1: It was great to know. I remember explaining to you why there was no baseball on. It was great to read that Sonia Sotomayor was involved. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was the best part. Every, every major thing that
0: happens on this show, either RBG or Sonia Sotomayor weighs in on it, and I'm always happier when it's on Sonia Sotomayor. And with that, shout out to Sonia Sotomayor, a big baseball fan, by the way. We say goodbye, and we'll see you next week on the Bill Bradley Collective.
1: Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. If you enjoyed today's episode, please smash that subscribe button and follow us on Facebook at the Bill Bradley Collective. We'll see you all again next week.